Hello everyone and welcome to the Mimetic Exegete podcast. I'm your host Simon Skidmore. In the last episode we considered the people's grumbling against Moses because they were dissatisfied with their newfound freedom. They longed for the familiar, comfortable shackles of Egypt and viewed Aaron and Moses as an obstacle to this desired object. Enraged, the people band together and attempt to lynch Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron survived this attack by granting the people their desired object. In so doing, Moses and Aaron quenched the community's rivalry and transformed themselves from obstacle to saviour in the people's eyes. To avoid the recurrence of this pattern, the Lord gives the people commands and rules to follow. These commands will help minimise mimetic rivalry in the community. We saw the first of these commands, a Sabbath rhythm, instituted into Israel's eating habits in the wilderness. We also noted that Sabbath observance becomes a communal boundary marker around which the community may rally, giving them a sense of unique identity. This identity helps the Israelites cultivate a sense of us who stand over and against the dangerous other outside the community. From a mimetic perspective, this new us versus them dynamic forged through the Israelites' new tribal identity allow the community to engage in warfare with other tribes. By these means, the community direct their mimetic rivalries outward, which might have otherwise culminated in a mimetic crisis and destroyed the Israelites from within. Let's pick up the narrative now from chapter 17, verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men to go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Moses and Hur held up his hands on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under the sky. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the Lord and the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. As soon as Israel forged their own tribal identity through the adoption of the Lord's rules and statutes, they begin to engage in warfare with other tribes. Moses' statement about the Lord being his banner suggests a further development of communal identity as the people rally around their God, the Lord of mimetic rivalry. On this occasion, the people of Israel fight and defeat the tribe of Amalek. When Moses lifts his hands and the staff of God, Israel prevail. But when his hands drop, the people of Amalek grow strong. 
we've seen this idea of an uplifted hand or an outstretched arm describe the Lord's victory over the Egyptians. Now in a similar manner, Moses' outstretched arm symbolizes his triumph over the people of Amalek. So long as Moses maintains his resolve to exchange reciprocal violence with the people of Amalek, symbolized by his outstretched arm, Israel prevails. When Moses' strength fades, his doubts begin to surface. Aaron and Hur bolster his resolve. In this passage, Aaron and Hur play a role similar to that of the Lord when he convinces Moses to leave his simple life in Midian to engage Pharaoh in mimetic rivalry. While the Exodus narrative mythologizes the Israelites' violence as the Lord's supernatural intervention, Israel's defeat of Amalek is, has not undergone the same process. Rather than projecting the people's mimetic violence onto the Lord, this passage attributes all the violence and mimetic rivalry to the Israelites themselves and their leaders, Moses, Aaron and Hur. Yet in verse 14 and following, the Lord enters the narrative and declares the intention to utterly destroy the people of Amalek. Although the victory in this passage is attributed to Moses and the people of Israel, the Lord of mimetic violence enters the scene to fuel a perpetual rivalry between these two tribes. Reading on now from chapter 18. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other about their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with his people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. In this passage, we see Moses reassured by Jephro, which allows him to move forward without looking back to his old life in Midian. 
I mentioned in an earlier episode that Jethro and Midian represent Moses' desire for a simple life without mimetic rivalry. A wife, 3.2 children, and a white picket fence, far away from Pharaoh and the people of Israel. With Jethro's arrival, Moses is forced to confront the life he left behind in Midian. After inquiring about that life, Moses then tells Jethro about his new life and all the marvellous acts which the Lord has performed for the people of Israel. In response, Jethro rejoices and blesses the Lord, which validates Moses' decision to leave his simple life behind and pursue his new identity as Israel's hero and leader. Declaring the Lord's supremacy, Jethro shares a sacrificial meal with Moses, Aaron, and the elders of Israel to ritually establish his approval of Moses and his mission before the Lord. Jethro's actions allow Moses to leave behind his life in Midian and to pursue his new identity as Israel's leader who will ultimately lead them into the land he has promised. Let's pick up the story from verse 13. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people have come to me to inquire of the Lord, and when they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I will make them know the statutes and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at times." Every great manner they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves, so it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure, and all this people will also go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law, and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times, any case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. In this passage, Jethro, the prince of peace and order, instructs Moses to support his leadership through a structured hierarchy. Jethro knows that Moses cannot survive his current role as the sole leader of the people. Currently, Moses alone shoulders the responsibility for protecting and providing for the Israelite community. 
This position is particularly precarious because it sets Moses apart from the rest of the community as a potential scapegoat. Eventually, when mimetic rivalry spirals out of control, the people will band together against Moses and lynch him because he is not able to deliver their desired object. For this reason, Jethro counsels Moses to teach the law to the people and appoint others who will hear and settle the people's disagreements. By these means, mimetic rivalry is managed as the people follow the law and any remaining rivalry is resolved quickly and efficiently through these appointed officials. With these rivalries resolved, mimetic rivalry within the community is minimized, which prevents future mimetic crises, allowing Moses and the people to survive. These developments represent important milestones in the nation's progress as they conceive their own structures for managing and diffusing mimetic rivalry within the community. Finally, Jephro departs, signaling Moses' total commitment to his new identity as the leader of the Israelite people. Let's continue reading from chapter 19. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. And they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and then camped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called out to him from the mountains, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. The Lord promises Moses that the community will become his most treasured possession above all other peoples, so long as they continue to keep his commandments and statutes. In other words, the Lord's commands and statutes will protect Israel from the destructive effects of mimetic rivalry, which destroys other communities. The idea of Israel becoming a kingdom of priests and a holy nation extends the primitive sacred out of the sanctuary and into the community's everyday lives. No longer is a specialized priesthood charged with managing the primitive sacred within a confined space of a temple, but now the teaching of the law empowers the entire community to minimize mimetic rivalry in their own lives. This concept represents a quantum leap forward for the Israelite people. Acknowledging that the primitive sacred dwells within each and every one of them, the community must accept responsibility for their own rivalry and violence. Thanks again for joining me on the Mimetic Exegete podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you may do so on the Mimetic Exegete Facebook group. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.